Welcome to the most listened to golf in the world, the Fairways of Life show, on air, online, and around the world. With the most candid interviews, unforgettable stories, taking you beyond the ropes. Here's your host, New York Times best-selling author and Golf Channel's Matt Adams. Welcome into the Fairways of Life show. Pleasure to have your company on this Wednesday from wherever you are joining us. We are back in studio. Had a couple of great days. Enjoyed attending the PGA Tour Superstore training summit and getting a chance to see a whole bunch of the new products. We have some of the new products coming into our studio here for the pieces that I do on Golf Channel. And so if you get a chance to see any of those, you'll see our close-up look at them where... I guess we go under hood, if you will. Uh, but some of the stuff that we have coming in, uh, I see the QI10 over there, driver. We had the dark speed from Cobra that we've done a piece on. I know we have Cobra irons that are scheduled for a piece. Tomorrow we're going to feature the new uh, PXG driver. That will be coming up very, very soon. Uh, the stories in the world of golf continue to churn and, and very much what I call the, the current atmosphere of turbulent waters. Uh, this is, according to Rex Toggard, this is from NBCSports.com. And the headline says, Report Jay Monahan in Saudi Arabia meeting with PIF Governor he writes, PGA Tour Commissioner Jay Monahan is in Saudi Arabia this week meeting with the governor of that country's sovereign wealth fund, according to a report in the Sports Business Journal. Monahan and Yasser al rumayan are scheduled to meet, or were scheduled to meet in November to continue to negotiate a possible definitive agreement that would combine the tour, the European circuit, and Live Golf, which is owned by this Saudi public investment fund under a new for-profit entity called PGA Tour Enterprises. Although a tour spokesman declined to comment on the report, according to SBJ, this is believed to be the first time Monaghan and Al Rumayan have met in person since last summer when they negotiated the framework agreement that opened the door to a larger deal. The London Times reported that Monaghan and Al Rumayan had recently had a lengthy phone conversation and that negotiations were progressing between the two sides. The parties also agreed to extend a December 31st deadline to reach a definitive agreement. DP World Tour CEO Keith Pelley announced last week that he was leaving the European circuit to join Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment in April, and he told reporters he's confident a definitive agreement can be reached before his exit. The tour also continues to negotiate with Strategic Sports Group, which is a private entity uh, equity group led by Fenway Sports to become a minority investor in PGA Tour Enterprises. Uh, so as to the, the quotes from Keith Pelley, because some of them are relative to the same. So this is Keith Pelley, head of, as Rex was calling it there, the European circuit. Their official name is the DP World Tour, though I do notice some of the media outlets continue to call them the European Tour. Uh, and Keith Pelley said the following. These are, these are brand new quotes. He said, quote, I think the PGA Tour is coming to the realization the global is the key for golf. They've heard me say it once or twice. Our goal is to unify the game. The professional game needs to be unified to capitalize on the growth of amateur golf. He continued to say, 
That's what the whole concept was behind the framework agreement. And I think some of the top players in the U.S. are starting to realize that that's exactly what the purpose of the framework agreement was. It was to unify the game. Unfortunately, after that framework agreement, some of the top players in the United States didn't support it, which we needed them to support. I think they are realizing now that the best way forward is to unify the game. I think we will know the direction of travel over the next couple of months. Close quote. That coming from Keith Pelly. Uh, was that from Keith Pelly a more telling quote, perhaps, than what we've heard from him before? Now that he is leaving, he could he could pretty much say what he wants to, right? Uh, as far as that goes, it's interesting, and to me, it's. Again, we get we get little bits and pieces, revelations, what's actually going on. And from the standpoint of saying, we've never had that advantage in the past. Seriously, we've never had that in the past. If, if a player had a problem with another player, they weren't allowed to talk about it. Now we're in this kind of Wild West world of golf where players can say whatever they want to say about whoever they want to talk about, whether it's the commissioner on down. They, the comments that we've heard have been very, very strong indeed. And I don't know if there's if behind the scenes there's any, uh, quote, conduct unbecoming consequences for that. It doesn't appear that is the case, given some of the quotes. This was Ian Poulter yesterday. I don't have the context. Reese says, quote, being two-faced is a terrible trait. I'd be embarrassed having to change my story now and come out and try to look smart. I'm happy to sit down and have it out. I will happily say it as it is. Enough of the BS. And he didn't use the, the, the BS. He said it on his social media. He continued saying, just for clarity, I applaud Rory McElroy for his comments a few weeks ago. It takes a lot to say the things he said. Nothing that can't be fixed over a good cup of coffee. It's the other, I assume he meant others, who blatantly choose to try and now become heroes all of a sudden. You have to be kidding me. That will not be fixed over a coffee. Okay, so I'm asking you guys out there. Who is Ian Poulter referring to? If it's not a person, who is the group that Ian Poulter is referring to? where he says it's the others who blatantly choose to try and now, he has now in all caps, become heroes all of a sudden. You have to be kidding me. That will not, and that was all in caps, not N-O-T, to be fixed over a coffee. So it seems as though he's okay with Rory's thinking that I think it would be safe to say seemed to be an evolution of thought. Maybe a, maybe a concession to inevitability. But are there others, as he claims, that are now trying to be heroes that have, have changed their position dramatically to which the first thing I say to you all the time is it's actually a good and healthy human trait if you learn, you have new information, you come to a new conclusion. I'm not trying to take a side one way there. I'm just saying that that we, we seem to live in a world that, that people get painted into a certain corner, and certainly in the political season we're in the middle of, you're not allowed to vary from that for any reason. You have to adhere to a philosophy of thought 
instead of an independence of one. So I'm not sure what what this means. Dom, anything coming in that you can share with me? Any any uh, revelation from our very intelligent audience that might have a, a sense of who he's talking about here? Uh, it has not come in yet because we're. I mean, you literally just read those quotes for me in Poulter, but I I did ask the question uh, today: Should golf unify? Should it unify? And 75% right now, it's early in the running, are saying, yes, it should unify. I ask you, and maybe the comments from, from Ian have, have some play, some part to play in this, I don't know, but do you think that the end game here, I realize the details are still very much to be determined, but do you believe golf will unify? Are you asking me that question? Yes. Yes, I do. Uh, I think that my sense is is that the the valleys that from the time we heard the Ju- the June six announcement with the intent, the so called framework agreement with the intent to bring the two groups together, I think what we saw following that was a lot of reactionary efforts. And what I mean by that is, you had the Department of Justice applying pressure. You had the politicians applying pressure, you had players far and wide, and you're talking about some players on the inside and plenty of very prominent players who were extremely upset, some of whom were calling for the heads of leaders. And then comments were made to say, you know what? We're trying to bring the game together for the good of the game. The focus of the comments generally were for the good of the tour because I think those comments were directed at their own constituency. And those comments were, hey, this is what's good for everybody. Once you get all the information, you're going to understand what we're doing and why we're doing it. And then there was, again, I I had a sense that it was somewhat of a reactionary campaign. How could it be otherwise? They didn't have any time to lay things out. So I'm not criticizing for that. It's just reality. But the message pretty much was, look, 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 we're still in charge of everything. People coming in are going to be minority positions, et cetera, et cetera. This is before we knew about, uh, and it may have been before in reality, where some of these comments were made that any other interest was shown by any other parties, plural. Led by a consortium, no doubt, but but they're, they're plural sources of money. And I think, and I told you guys this at the time, I still think that what governs is the golden rule, and he who has the gold makes the rules. So... I never really thought that the culmination of this would be an investment by PIF, a sizable investment, so we're told, massive, and that along the ways of, the, of that massive investment, Yasser Rumayan, who would become the chairman of the new entity, but still we were told well, Jay Monahan's going to decide what happens with Liv, right? And that's what I mean. I think that was part of the trying to get everybody to settle down. And along the way, until you have a definitive agreement written, it's really hard to make definitive comments about respective roles. Because at the same time that that was happening, we were hearing from that Al Rumayan was meeting with people on the Liv side going, whoa, Liv is fine. Relax, folks. We've committed to this. You're not going anywhere. We're carrying on. 
team golf, et cetera, et cetera, the, the strengths of who we are and all the rest, that, that's going to continue. Right? And so now we hear that the two, I guess, lead guys, uh, I don't know exactly what Keith Pelly's role is now, and if he's lame duck and, and leaving in a couple months, I don't know the importance of his position relative to the conversation, but we do know from multiple reports that Commissioner Monaghan and Piff and Ramayan are going to meet in Saudi Arabia. First, we, we, we heard that they had a phone call, and it was the first time in apparently months, and now they're going to meet in Saudi Arabia. Is that a sign that on some, some level and in some way the dust is starting to settle, be it from the regulatory pressures, from the political pressures, or if you please, you could call it political pressures, but, but it may be even more substantial, from those inside of the tour where they had to expand the, the, the players on the board of directors, et cetera. Golf Digest from yesterday, Joe Biawa had had a report that just continues to underscore the nature of where everything is right now. Uh, call it absurd. Call it call it uh, head scratching. But his his headline is report head of Live Golf accused of campaign involving wrongful kidnapping and detention. And Joel writes as follows. You can find it at golfdigest.com. Yasser Al-Rumayan, head of Saudi Arabia's public investment fund and the de facto head of Live Golf, has been accused of, quote, having carried out the instructions, close quote, of Saudi Arabian Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman with malicious intent, according to a lawsuit filed in Canada. The story was first reported by The Athletic. Dr. Saad Al-Jabri, a former intelligence officer with the country who fled and has since defected to Canada, is attempting to bring the suit regarding the treatment of his family. Two of his children were arrested in 2020 for, quote, unquote, security reasons before both were scheduled to continue their education in the United States. Al-Jabri's son, Omar, received a nine-year sentence while his, while his daughter, Sarah, is serving a sentence of just under seven years. Neither had the chance to be present at their trial or to cross-examine witnesses. The family has had no contact with their children since their imprisonment. According to the suit, Al-Jabri accuses Al-Rumayan of direct involvement in a number of allegations. Quote, these include taking steps to orchestrate an alleged campaign, which would include wrongful kidnapping and detention, misappropriation of property, and the, the expropriation of hundreds of companies worth hundreds of millions of dollars into PIF hands, according to The Athletic. The outlet also reports that Al-Rumayan took steps to bring the criminal proceedings against the Al-Jarbri children as punishment for the doctor's defection. Al-Rumayan is part of Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman's inner circle and considered the mastermind of the Saudi efforts with Live Golf. It was Al-Rumayan who brokered a framework agreement with PGA Tour Commissioner Jay Monahan and board members Jimmy Dunn and Ed Hurley, a deal that paused a contentious year-long battle in the professional game and ended litigation between Live Golf and the PGA Tour. It also appeared, uh, he also appeared to Monahan on a CNBC televised interview to announce the proposed deal. 
Al-Ramayan has argued in previous cases that he is protected by sovereign immunity laws because his conduct, quote, falls within the commercial activity exception of the Foreign Sovereign Immunity Act, close quote. However, earlier this year, a federal magistrate judge rejected that assertion. News of the lawsuit comes as the PGA Tour and PIF attempt to finish a deal before April, though the PGA Tour maintains its controls, Live Golf's destiny as part of the proposed deal. Al Rumayan has asserted to Live Golf members and staff that the league will continue, and documents released by Congress contain language in the framework agreement that may give Al Rumayan final say over the matter. Al Rumayan is also expected to be the chairman of the new for profit entity created by PIF, the PGA Tour, and the DP World Tour. That from Golf Digest. You can find it at golfdigest.com. As I was saying, uh, storylines continue to swirl in every single direction. And the irony of it is whatever direction that you go by, whatever your particular opinion is, there was some piece of information, even that we went over today, that justifies whatever side you stand upon. More of the Fairways of Life show coming up after this. It is presented by the PGA Tour Superstore, the number one golf retailer in America. Find your happy place at the PGA Tour Superstore. Relax. Easy now. Find your happy place. The PGA Tour Superstore. It's all in the hips. Where every swing is possible. Just tap it in. Yes! (laughs) Find all the latest gear, apparel, and personalized club fittings. Is this goodbye? We've only just begun. Shop with the pros at Golf's Happy Place, the PGA Tour Superstore. In Ireland, golf is more than just a game. Come and experience our world-famous Lynx courses and our world-famous Parkland courses, all set alongside world-famous scenery and visit our world-famous historic sites. And while you're here, enjoy our world-famous hospitality. Fill your heart with Ireland at ireland.com forward slash golf. It screams. It tracks. It's soft. It reacts. It is the Bridgestone Tour B with a game-changing reactive cover designed to spring faster off your driver and stick longer to your wedges. Try Bridgestone's Tour Bs, the Tour Ball reinvented. The Gen 6 iron is a culmination of everything that we have learned as a team, the absolute best golf club I have ever hit. It's something special. Say hello to the new PXG Gen 6 iron. The longest, most accurate irons we've ever made. They go higher and farther than any iron that I have hit to date, and they're so easy to hit. Super excited for the consumer to try this. They're going to love them. PXG, nobody makes golf clubs the way we do, period. Baseball? Nah. Football? Done it. I think I'm going to go after the PGA Tour. Bo, you're going to need the right equipment company. I think I got that. You know Tour Edge backs all their clubs with a lifetime warranty. I know. They ship all their premium custom clubs in 48 hours. I know. All their premium clubs are hand-built in the USA. I know. You know Tour Edge has won 35 times out here. Guys, I know. Pound for pound, nothing comes close. 
Boeing Golf provides the ultimate world-class golf destination with 10 championship caliber courses spanning three resorts. Centered in Michigan's northern lower peninsula, the courses are the products of some of the game's master, including Robert Trent Jones Sr., Arthur Hills, and Donald Ross. From the all-inclusive vacation packages, elite instruction with the Boeing Golf Academy, tournaments, and so much more, Boeing Golf truly offers an unrivaled Michigan golf vacation experience. Just log on to boeinggolf.com. Welcome back to Fairways of Life Show. I'll go over air times with you in a little while today, but I will tell you it's a busy week in the world of golf. The American Express on the PGA Tour out in the desert, out to another desert, Dubai Desert Classic. Good field there. We're going to hear from Tommy Fleetwood coming up on the show today. The Hilton Grand Vacations Tournament of Champions, which is also a celebrity event, is taking place in Orlando this week. The Mitsubishi Electric Championship on the PGA Tour Champions. The Corn Ferry Tour, the Bahamas Great Exuma Classic of Sandals at Sandals Bay. Emerald uh, Bay uh, for the Corn Ferry Tour. Mark Carnival is the 1992 Arnold Palmer Award recipient as the rookie of the year. We love bringing Carney on to gain his perspective on what is happening in and around the world of golf, whether it be with clubs and hands or otherwise, that's very much the story right now. Carney, how are you? Welcome. Uh, good morning, Matt. Doing great. Cool. Uh, you had a, you've had time out on the tour already, I'm sure, of taking all this in. Uh, let, me, let me just ask you from that standpoint, early on, the combination of young players that we're seeing that uh, are going to, to hope to establish themselves, which is impressive, incidentally, uh, and the veterans that we're waiting for uh, to break through and do even more of. What are your thoughts on what you've seen so far on tour? Uh, it's been great. Uh, I think that, uh, again, I think we're just starting to get used to uh, the new schedule starting in January, like it had been for years and years and years. And, you know, with the events that were in the fall, the FedEx fall, uh, the players that were able to be successful there, and now transitioning to the full season, uh, it was great to see Chris Kirk win at Century. Uh, I think uh, with Grayson Murray winning last week, I mean, what a story that is. I'm sure you talked about it and documented it a little bit, Matt. Uh, that uh, that young man uh, really battled some issues in his life. He was able to seems to be and straighten it out, and now uh, he becomes a winner on the PJ Tour. And what we do know about him, at least I do, I mean, he's one hell of a ball striker. Has a lot of talent, and now it looks like some of the the issues that he was dealing with are are not affecting his golf game. So uh, you know, sort of the sky's the limit for him. But it's going to be interesting. Uh, I think uh, with. But the way things happened at the end of last season and, and in the fall, um, <laughs> uh, the 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 so the so-called uh, seasoned veterans uh, are going to have their hands full. It's interesting that you brought up uh, Grayson Murray because we did feature his story because I think it is inspiring, and I have a personal philosophy, Mark, that if someone is struggling with something and they're willing to be honest with it and share it with the world somewhere, somehow there's probably someone that needed to hear that message. And it could be uh, at least life affirming, maybe life altering or saving. Uh, but when, when you speak about it in terms of kind of a, a one, two punch in Hawaii, first of all, we had Chris Kirk who dealt with issues of depression and alcoholism. And then you had Grayson Murray who had his own issues of substance abuse uh, and it was funny because when we were featuring the the interview, Mark, I'm I'm looking at Grayson Murray and I'm thinking about the Grayson Murray that used to rail on social media, et cetera, et cetera. Obviously influenced by all those 
all those things, call them demons if you please. And yet he didn't even look the same in that press mm-hmm. conference. And from that standpoint, I do think it's an incredibly an inspiring and a credit to both of those gentlemen who have dealt with what they have to be back in the winter circles. Well, it should be. Now, again, I mean, one of the things I'm sure people on the outside look, well, you know, you're playing a game, you're making a lot of money. Well, that's not, you know, it, it's life. Uh, what you choose to pursue uh, for income or any other reason uh, is a challenge like we all have. And I think one of the things it says is that you, you can never say never. You never give up. Uh, you keep trying. You figure out a way to battle through whatever issues issues you're dealing with. Uh, and, and both those players were able to do that. And I admire both of them. And, uh, and, and certainly uh, I've seen Chris Kirk quite a bit. I've seen Grayson. But uh, when I hopefully see them next week or over the next four or five weeks on the West Coast, uh, I'll absolutely walk up and congratulate because, again, we, we, look, we tend to look at sports and, and the money that players make. But I think what is overlooked is, is the battles that we, that we go through. And, yes, yeah, there's, there's plenty of riches on the other side. There's a lot of rewards for it, but it's still a battle. It's an internal battle. And then when you deal with the outside and social media and, and everything that comes with it, uh, it can be challenging. And for both those players to overcome that, that really says a lot, not only about themselves, but their support groups that obviously had to help them get to where they're at. Yeah, there's, there's little doubt about that. Uh, now, speaking about when, when we see depth uh, that is professional golf, when we see talent that is professional golf, and yes, at times we see the trappings of, of luxury and, and that goes along with it, but uh, I'll tell you quite honestly, I don't care what the field is, certainly don't care what the sport is, but if you get the top performers in those respective sports, you're going to see the same thing. You're going to see people that are richly rewarded because ultimately golf is about entertainment and people pay for entertainment. Yeah. How much would you pay for a ticket to go see the Rolling Stones in their limited tour uh, this summer? So the American Express, though, has a good field. Take a look at this graphic where we've put together just notables that are in the field this week at the American Express. Includes Xander Shoffley, Tony Finau, Shane Lowry getting started. Of course, Jason Day looking to keep the good times rolling. Scotty Scheffler, Patrick Cantlay, and more. I guess the, the, the broad, the wide net I'd cast on this one, Mark, to ask you would be, what is it about this event, which is not a signature event, but what is it about this event in particular that has caused a field of this strength to come together? A couple of things, Matt. I think, one, again, these players and the, and the modern-day players, uh, um, you know, are, are going to have to get used to a new type of schedule. And like you said, those signature events that are out there are going to become very important. Some of these players are in them. Some of them, some of them are not. And I think that's, to me, that's one of the things we're going to watch. And I'll, and I'll get more to about the event here in a second. As we go through the season, you know, what events are the bigger names players going to play in? Uh, you know, Farmers for a long time uh, had a great field of golf, but kind of where it sits now, you've got a signature event the following week at AT&T. You've got, of course, the Waste Management, the WM Phoenix Open the following week. Then you've got another signature event uh, at the Genesis Invitational and, you know, where Tiger is supposed to make his appearance. One of the great things about uh, the Amex is that, and it's changed, the format has changed over the years. You used to play four golf courses. It used to be over five days. You'd play the four courses and you'd play the host course uh, for the second time on Sunday. Uh, they've, they've shortened the number of amateurs that are playing. It's a little bit more like 
uh, the AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am, which is going to be different this year, uh, which will be interesting to watch. But it's it's like golf in a dome, Matt. And, and if you need reps, if you need uh, to get your sort of hone your game, now it's they're not the most challenging golf courses we'll play on the PGA Tour, you know, except maybe the, the PGA Tour Stadium. I mean, this this the PGA Stadium course out there, the Dye Stadium course. Um, it's it, but it just allows you really to go play golf. The, the putting surfaces are spectacular. Again, you play in normally in pretty calm conditions. So I think it gives you a good chance to kind of get into the flow of your game. And again, you have three rounds of golf, not just two. So you're going to play at least three. And obviously, every player wants to make sure he plays the final round and making the cut. But uh, I think it's, it, you know, it, it's, it just, it's a great start. And if you can, you're okay with the fact that you're playing with amateurs. And again, they, it used to be one amateur and one pro and four amateurs. And it used to be really long days. I think they've improved that. Uh, certainly MX behind this event has done a great job. And, and I think that uh, it really it, it can, it can turn to be a very rewarding experience. When, when you're talking about a pro and whatever combination of, with an amateur partner or three amateur partners or four or whatever it is, what is it? Is it based on the personality of the tour pro or are, are there something some conditions that take place in that setting that can drive a pro crazy. Is it a guy that's that all of a sudden he's out there and, and on a pro course next to a TBJ tour player and he wants to prove that he's a bucket away from being a tour player himself? Is it the guy that that can't get the ball airborne? What is it that that I know? We never we don't talk about it much, but but there's a, a lot of tour pros that prefer to not be in that position over the years, and I'm curious what it is. The primary reasons that a, a player comes to that conclusion. Well, I, I always embraced it, Matt. So to, to know why, uh, you know, I don't I don't I've never looked at it as a bad situation. I've always looked at every situation as as a possibility. I think one of the biggest things is the is the pace of play, but. Quite frankly, Matt, the pace of play on the PJ Tour is slow, so it shouldn't be any different there. Um, to complain about that, you know, people talk about being distracting. The, the great thing about pro-ams, and, and yes, while we as professionals, it's about us trying to win a golf tournament and, and, and a championship, you have to embrace it. I mean, it's an opportunity to, to meet new people. You never know when those those relationships can come to fruition into something uh, that be- it's beneficial, not just for you, but for that person that you meet as well. I-, I just think one of the things is that I think players make it too much about themselves, and, and they be- they they make themselves bigger than the game. And why do I have to deal with this? Uh, I-, I think that's a huge mistake. Uh, I think you look at it. Uh, you know, if you don't like it, you just don't have to play it. I mean, they're they're not forcing you to play. But I think the benefits so outweigh any negative aspect uh, of playing in an amateur event with a professional. Did you ever, uh, we hear it all the time, so I'm curious if it happened to you, Mark. Did you ever play in a pro-am, whether it was pre-tournament, during tournament, uh, outside of a, of a direct tour event, et cetera, but did you ever meet somebody on the golf course that ended up becoming a, a good sponsor opportunity for you? Uh, I did. Uh, I've become, I've met some of my best friends. Uh, playing in those events as well. And that's why I said you have to embrace it. Uh, again, I've always pictured those, and not just the you know, the events like Amex and AT, but you know, the Wednesday programs or any 
any events you play with amateurs, it's about them that day, Matt. I'm there to, to, to make their day that much better. So, you know, I never really worried about how I play. Yeah, you always want to play well, but I never worried about that. And I think sometimes players get too wrapped up in themselves. That's That was the point I was trying to make, is that the game is bigger than you. And it's an opportunity. You're, you know, if you're playing in a special event, it's going to benefit some charity. Uh, and, and you've got to look outside that. And I think and embrace it. And uh, as I said, there's so many, uh, so many great opportunities that I had over the years in playing in different events and pro am. That uh, you know, I mean, they they're lasting. It's funny. It reminds me of a conversation of another mutual friend of ours, Curtis Strange. And back in the day, it was really intense. And <laughs> you know, you probably know where I'm going with this story. But focused it on him, and he's playing his pro am, and he was out in front of his guys. Remember, yeah. his tee's behind him, and he's out in front of him. You're kind of marching along. And one of his amateurs caught it off the toe, and it went dead sideways, hit Curtis right in the head. <laughs> Man, I gotta when, I, when, I, when I quit playing and I became the, the tournament director, for which now would have been the Corn Ferry event in Virginia Beach, which was back then, I don't know, whatever, whoever the sponsor was, I went to the tour and I said, you know, to me, why don't we just – have everybody play off one one team, and and the 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 sort of backlash was, well these guys you know they use it to practice, and I'm saying, okay, well you're telling me these guys aren't good enough to play from a team that's 25 or 30 yards up from where they are, they're that good, they need to use it as a practice round. I said this is about the amateurs, it's not about the players. Of course, again, it wasn't very welcome. You know what, uh, Carney, I did the same thing at the PNC. It was then called the father-son. Yeah. And they, you said, you were talking about, now granted, this was at the time, uh, Arnold Palmer, Jack Nicholas, Lee Trevino, Gary Player, I could go on. But you had these players that were well into senior years, some of them 70s, some of them 80s, and they had everybody playing from the same tee. So I went in, I went to the tour official and said, I don't know whether anybody's talked to you about this, but it takes away from the glory of who these great players are. They're still good ball strikers. They're still great players, but they can't play from the back. There's no way you're ever going to use it. I'm talking about, again, Arnold Palmer, Jack Nicklaus, or Gary Player, Lee Trevino. You will not use their drive in the Pro-Am because they're going to be 30 yards behind the amateurs because they're teeing from way in the back. They have since modified that. I don't know if I had anything to do with it or not. I'm not saying I did. I'm just telling you the story that there, there are things you can do to look at it and make it more fun. So I applaud the fact that you're saying, hey, let's just play from here. Let's be together, and let's definitely have a good time. Uh, let's be together and continue with Mark Carnivale. Carney, if, you, if you'd hang in there with us. When we come back, I want to get Carney's perspective on some of the things that we opened the show with today, which I've been calling the turbulent waters that surround the game at its highest competitive levels, and see what perspective he may have in terms of, are we heading in a direction where things are getting better or otherwise? Yes, hello world, huh? <laughs> and with one subtle hello, Tiger began an amazing and unthinkable career. I've done it for 20 years now with, with Bridgestone. It allows me to play an aggressive style around the greens, and it's allowed me to win a lot of tournaments. Bridgestone Golf. 
proud to be part of your journey. Boyne Golf provides the ultimate world-class golf destination with 10 championship caliber courses spanning three resorts. Centered in Michigan's northern lower peninsula, the courses are the products of some of the game's masters, including Robert Trent Jones Sr., Arthur Hills, and Donald Ross. From the all-inclusive vacation packages, elite instruction with the Boyne Golf Academy, tournaments, and so much more, Boyne Golf truly offers an unrivaled Michigan golf vacation experience. Just log on to boynegolf.com. I think when you're training for other sports or you're what why most people go to the gym is so that they can like have muscles and you know be strong and be healthy and a lot of the reason why they struggle to play golf is their body doesn't move properly for them to be able to hit a golf ball and when you're training for golf it's a little bit different because you're focused more on flexibility and mobility and being uh, strong in motion when you're able to kind of have a warm-up and have a workout routine and kind of gradually build up to where you're training your body to move properly yeah you're gonna get a lot of big dividends on the golf course Easy now, find your happy place. The PGA Tour Superstore. It's all in the hips, where every swing is possible. Just tap it in. Yes! <laughs> find all the latest gear, apparel, and personalized club fittings. Is this goodbye? We've only just begun. Shop with the pros at Golf's Happy Place, the PGA Tour Superstore. What if we started a company and the company was under no time constraints, no financial constraints? The one constraint is their clubs had to be exceptional performers and much better than any other alternative. I was told time and again, it'll never work. It worked like a house of fire. And I'll tell you what, I think our customers love it. BXG, nobody makes golf clubs the way we do, period. Zero Friction introduces the Wheel Pro Push Cart Golf Bag with its revolutionary three-in-one design, supportive legs that spring into action, a comfort grip handle with three locking positions, accessories for the modern golfer enhanced by seven pockets for more storage, and removable all-terrain wheels which slide right into place. The new Zero Friction Wheel Pro Golf Bag checks every box for every golfer. Push, carry, your cart. The decision is yours thanks to Zero Friction. Head to ZeroFriction.com today. Welcome back to Fairways Life Show. Pleasure to have company, folks. Mark Carnavale is our guest, veteran campaigner uh, on the PGA Tour, renowned broadcaster, now a winner on every level of game that he has ever participated. So, Carney, with everything that is churning in and around the game right now, and there is a lot, I'm curious what your perception is about, and again, you take it whatever direction you want, from John Rahm uh, going to live, et cetera, et cetera. But what is your pers perspective on where the game is right now in January of 2024? Are we in a better place than we were a year ago? <laughs> uh, that's, that's a great question, Matt. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I, I, Quite frankly, and I was talking to Dom in, in the break there, I know very little about what's going on um, other than what you hear. Uh, I, I have no, even though I live in Ponte Vedra Beach, Florida, where the uh, PGA Tour World Headquarters is, I, I don't know what's going on. I, I don't know what the plan is. I have my speculations as what I think eventually could happen, and, and there's no uh, there's no credence or there's no information behind this to, to know if it will come to fruition, but it's just my, my expectation and, and maybe... 
I don't, I wouldn't say it's a hope because I think golf is, you know, while it's certainly getting its due with all the news, uh, uh, you know, someone always said uh, any news is good news. Well, not all the time. Uh, you know, my, my biggest issue with everything uh, is, you know, will it change sort of the, the structure of the game and what the PGA Tour re- represents? And I'm, I'm all for change. I'm all for things being becoming better. Uh, really, I have no problem with competition, uh, but it's about choices and, and, you know, ramifications of those choices. What I think, Matt, and I think at some point it, it's got to happen because as you were reading those comments from uh, uh, Mr. Pelly earlier, it is about the game and how, how does it get better. And in order to make the consistency of the game and the consistent attention to it, the best players in the world have to play together. Uh, that uh, breeds inspiration, that that sort of you know, breeds desire uh, to be where those players are. And again, this comes from absolutely no information that I've received or anything. It's just where I see things going. I think, and my anticipation of what's going to happen is basically you're going to have a premier league of golf. And I don't know what number that's going to be. Is it going to be 70? Is it going to be 80? Uh, might be lower than that. But I think you're going to have relegation. And the relegation is going to come on and off from both the PGA Tour and the DP World Tour. Uh, they're going to play around the world. They'll play in the major championships. But again, I think it all goes back to the one sort of point that all these players have made is that, you know, they, they went to live to play fewer events. Ultimately, I think they're going to be where they were the whole time with the number of events they're going to play. But that's that's sort of what I see is uh, possibly where the future of, of the game as far as trying to get these guys, to, the best players, to play together. But, again, I, I don't have any information leading to that. That's just my speculation. Do you see in, in your speculation, Carney, that the team aspect of golf uh, from live would be incorporated into that primary league, as you called it, or would it be something separate? I mean, it could. I wouldn't, I wouldn't like to see that um, in, in the set. And I have no problem with any of that. Now, I have not watched one live event. You know, I mean, you, you hear about it, you I don't read much about it because I don't read much news anyways. Uh, I think he would have some some opportunity for that in the fall. I don't think it should be. Golf has always been, a, and this is kind of my, my feeling for that, golf has always been an individual sport. Uh, I'm not, you know, we, we grew up playing on teams in high school and college, and I get that point. And, you know, people would say, well, you know, you had it there. But at this level, it's always – the history of it has always been about the individual uh, outside of the, the Ryder Cup and the President's Cup. Uh, I think it would take something away because we, we're always trying to win that championship, that trophy. Yeah, I, I get it. And, and they seem to like the team thing and, and, and maybe the players do. I don't know. I haven't really talked to any players you know, about it uh, because ultimately I think it always comes down to the money. They, they can, they're convinced they like it because they're getting paid a lot of money. I, I don't know. Again, th- these are just my my thoughts. But I could see a point with the way the tour schedule is now that you could have a number of events in that period 
uh, in the FedEx Cup fall where you have these team events and guys can choose to play. There's no, there's not that pressure uh, of trying to win a tournament. You have to, you know, again, I would approach it that way. You just go out and have fun and uh, so forth. But again, it always comes back to this, uh, the one of the, the big uh, issues that they had is the number of tournaments they're going to play. So we can sit there and say that people can say I'm wrong, but ultimately it comes down to the money. Carney, has it surprised you being around the game for as long as you have that we're in an era right now where players are speaking for better or for worse? Does it, does, I don't, I, it doesn't really matter to me whether one agrees with what a player said or disagrees with a player from a journalistic position. I love the fact that they are speaking. We have never seen a time in the game of golf, in my view, where we know where a player's heart lies and whatever the subject is, even if it's with the, say the commissioner or another player that they have, uh, have either praised for or scorned for Carney, I've never seen it like this before. It, it I described it when we came on the air this morning as kind of, it's almost golf's uh, we're in at professional level at, at some uh, golf's wild West. Have you ever seen anything like this before where it's openly shared through, through mediums such as social media or media at large? Well, certainly social media has changed a lot of it. Um, I've always been one. If I have an issue, I'm going to approach that individual with that issue. I'm, I'm not going to resort to social media. I mean, there are ways to get in touch with people. Uh, I think back in the day, uh, you know, 31 well, <laughs> I got to go way back now because I'm thinking I've been <laughs> 30 some years since I first got on tour. Uh, you know, maybe 50, 60 years ago, my understanding through talking to a number of people, players handled their uh, situations. You know, I think obviously with how the game grows and everything, uh, you know, there were ramifications if you spoke out, uh, you know, conduct unbecoming and so forth. Uh, I go back to this. Matt, it's something that I've believed in and disagree with sort of the what's been been put out there over the years. You know, we, we've always talked about the PGA Tour being about the players. Well, quite frankly, I don't think the players own the tour. Uh, you know, it's, it's said that. Uh, again, this is strictly my opinion. Um, you know, they don't have owners. When I say it, they don't have ownership in it, you know, you have a, you have a, you have a board and you have all this, but there's no, there's no specific way, as you said, for players to deal with these situations. You go to a meeting and there's a lot of yelling back and forth. And, you know, there's so many disagreements, no different than we are anywhere in life. You know, people have different ideas and, and I think that they haven't, they don't have a voice. You know, I mean, uh, even the members on the board, I mean, you, you, you mentioned the, uh, you know, the Rory McIlroy and, and, and uh, I don't know if you mentioned, but there was a Grayson Murray, you know, uh, thing. I mean, there, there's no, again, Rory's on the board. I, as a player, I don't know if Rory has my best interest at heart. Um, you know, you'd like to think they do, but they're, you know, people are people. I mean, they're going to do what's, in, the, in their own best interests. And, and it was interesting, Matt, I was working the Bermuda Championship, and, you know, we've talked about 
slow play and, and all this stuff. And it's just, it's ridiculous out there. And I, I don't know. Again, I think players have to take ownership. And I think I went up to Stephen Cox and I said, you know, if I was playing right now, you guys would be finding the hell out of me because I would be, I would be in all these players' faces uh, with as, as slow as the play is out there. Um, it's it's interesting, Matt. Um, I, you know, I always felt like the, the, the board should have a player majority on it uh, if, if it truly is about the players. Uh, and I'm not saying any of these, any of these independent uh, directors are, are outstanding, very successful businessmen, but none of them have played the game of golf. They may understand business, but I don't think they understand the game. They may play golf, but they don't understand it at the professional level. So I think, again, ultimately, I think for a lot of stuff to change and be different and the way they're addressed it, and I hate to see people address it on social media in the sense that, yeah, you can get your, but there's no, you can say whatever you want and whether it's true or not, you know, who cares? I mean, I, I mean, that's at least, that's the sort of uh, perspective I have. And I know it's a big part of our, our world right now, but I think when you have issues, I've always believed that the best way to handle them is, is, is in person and face to face. Mark Carnevale. A winner on the PGA Tour, a winner at every level that he's ever played the game, as I mentioned uh, previously. We love having him on the show to give us his insight, uh, unvarnished such as it is, and that's the thing that we love about it. And that, that is, as well, a reflection, I think, of where we are with all of the information coming in. I happen to love it, Mark, because my personal philosophy is, is that it's not my job to tell people how to think. I want to get as many views and perspectives in as possible so people can come to their own conclusions. And yours is one that we very, very much appreciate. So we are full of gratitude for that. Uh, we hope you are doing well and hope your travels are safe and looking forward to your work both on PGA Tour Radio, which you can hear on the PGA Tour app. You can hear it on PGATour.com uh, if you subscribe to, and both of those are free and work around the world, or you if you subscribe to National Satellite Service Sirius XM, as well as on ESPN Plus, uh, PGA Tour Live, and more. Carney, always a pleasure. Yeah, Maddie, thank you. I, I know that was a lot, <laughs> but uh, people are going to might say I'm kind of crazy, but I, I, I've been around this game like you have for a long time. Uh, always a pleasure to be with you, uh, my friend, and uh, hopefully we'll get together soon. Yeah, I hope so, too. The thought that's running through my head was crazy like a fox, if that's the case. Mark Connervale joining us. <laughs> we'll have more of the Fairways of Life show right after this. Relax. Easy now. Find your happy place. PGA Tour Superstore. It's all in the hips. Where every swing is possible. Just tap it in. Yes! <laughs> Find all the latest gear, apparel, and personalized club fittings. Is this goodbye? We've only just begun. Shop with the pros at Golf's Happy Place, the PGA Tour Superstore. In Ireland, golf is more than just a game. Come and experience our world-famous Lynx courses and our world-famous Parkland courses, all set alongside world-famous scenery. And visit our world-famous historic sites. And while you're here, enjoy our world-famous hospitality. Fill your heart with Ireland at ireland.com forward slash golf. It screams. It tracks. It's soft. It reacts. 
It is the Bridgestone Tour B with a game-changing reactive cover designed to spring faster off your driver and stick longer to your wedges. Try Bridgestone's Tour Bs, the Tour Ball reinvented. The Gen 6 Iron is a culmination of everything that we have learned as a team. The absolute best golf club I have ever hit. It's something special. Say hello to the new PXG Gen 6 Iron. The longest, most accurate irons we've ever made. They go higher and farther than any iron that I have hit to date. And they're so easy to hit. Super excited for the consumer to try this. They're going to love them. PXG, nobody makes golf clubs the way we do, period. Baseball? Nah. Football? Done it. I think I'm gonna go after the PGA Tour. Bo, you're gonna need the right equipment company. I think I got that. You know Tour Edge backs all their clubs with a lifetime warranty. I know. They ship all their premium custom clubs in 48 hours. I know. All their premium clubs are hand-built in the USA. I know. You know Tour Edge has won 35 times out here. Guys, I know. Pound for pound, nothing comes close. Boeing Golf provides the ultimate world-class golf destination with 10 championship caliber courses spanning three resorts. Centered in Michigan's northern lower peninsula, the courses are the products of some of the game's masters, including Robert Trent Jones Sr., Arthur Hills, and Donald Ross. From the all-inclusive vacation packages, elite instruction with the Boeing Golf Academy, tournaments, and so much more, Boeing Golf truly offers an unrivaled Michigan golf vacation experience. Just log on to boinggolf.com. Welcome back to Fairways Life Show. Pleasure to have your company, folks. Lots going on today. I know the, I'm sure the discussion board is busy. Dom was telling me that it is. Sometimes it, it's, uh, Dom, you find that, that the discussion board kind of veers off in its own independent directions. Uh, that's, that's correct. <laughs> There's uh, hundreds and hundreds of comments coming in on the program today. And we appreciate all of them, but many of them are not intended for you and me in this show. They're just discussion amongst themselves, which is fine. That's fine. There's lots of things to talk about going on in the world. Uh, but there was, there was a fair amount of questions coming in about the comments that we made at the, the front end of the show, talking about uh, unifying golf a little bit, what that would look like, and also sort of piggybacking a bit off of what Mark Carnival was just talking about, of, of the vision he saw for the future of golf. By the way, it was ironic that he was poo-pooing himself, like, oh, it's just what I think, who cares, you know, I don't know what I'm talking about. The guy's played in 200 tour events, and then he was on the other side running tournaments as a tournament director. He's been in professional golf for 40 years. He 100% knows what he's talking about. So, well, I mean, his job literally I think what is he had to, to talk about is, it. Yeah, so it's ridiculous for him to say that. Uh, you're not going to find someone who's more qualified to comment on this situation than he is. But... Where I, where I sit listening to all of this in my ear and reading some of the comments, by the way, the question of the day was, should golf unify? Yes, it should. 69% of you are saying. I just have a couple of questions, and some of them are, are, are piggybacking off some of the questions that came in from the people, Matt. And I think part of the problem we have is that we don't have the answers to these questions. Mm -hmm. For example, one of the questions that I don't remember where it was in the in the big pile of stuff coming in, but someone said, 
what happens to the live contracts with these players if things get unified? And I'll be honest with you, I don't know the answer, Matt, and I'm not sure even Liv knows the answer because I would imagine that some of these guys have different deals. For example, Bryson DeChambeau has got a team deal, right? And he has yes. equity in a team that exists permanently, plus he's got whatever paycheck they're paying him. But you have other players like Andy Ogletree who didn't get $100 million up front. So I don't know what these contracts are or what they say, and I would have no doubt that some of these guys are going to get screwed. But you could say the same thing about the PGA Tour because six months ago or a year ago, the PGA Tour players were, were told, listen, these guys who went to live, you know, they have permanent consequences. Well, those consequences may not come to fruition. They might just be coming back and playing like nothing ever happened without any consequences. So there's, I think it's a very good chance that players on both sides of this for lack of a better term, are going to get screwed. <laughs> yeah, so, I, I'm not. So I'm not as convinced. It's a complicated I, mess. I, I don't have that impression. Uh, that's that's not a conclusion that I've come to. That you know somebody's going to get the the sharp end of the stick. I I don't see that happening necessarily. I never. No, I didn't I'm understand. They're both going to get it. Uh, I beg your pardon. They're both going to get the sharp end of the stick. No, I think I you're going to so. find some I, of these think... guys that have contracts to live are going to get screwed over. And you've got guys on the tour who are, say, the middling, middle-level guys, right? They're, they were told to stay on the tour because if they went, you know, it would be a huge disaster. And now those guys that went might could end up ent- being playing right alongside them again and with no contract. Oh, that, that could d- potentially happen. I don't, I don't deny that. It was, it, what, what I didn't understand, which goes back to my earlier comments, that I think it was more about a PR campaign than, than I trusted that it was really grounded in a definitive path forward in reality was the conversation that somehow the players who left and went to live, that if there was a merger, they would have to pay some price to come back to the PGA tour, a penalty, a punishment, if you will. And I was, I was scratching my head cause I was, I was saying, wait a minute, you're telling us that what Liv has done has been substantial enough that it warrants bringing the entities together. Meaning that, and if you look at it from, from what we're seeing on the PGA Tour, the purses have gone up, these new signature events that they have, the, the whole, and everyone says it, even if Rory has said it, competition is good. Well, if that's the case, and overall... You know, rising tide, all the ships, all the ships come up together because competition, bigger purses, more opportunities. Now, granted, there's events in between those signature events, but there are opportunities. It's hard, but you can work your way into these signature events. We've seen players do it. Grayson Murray's in every one of them for the rest of this year off his victory. So. I haven't heard that discussion as much. The quick answer to your question, of course, or any, anyone's question in this regard, is that we just don't know, and we won't know until it's revealed. However, you don't hear as much of that talk as you heard initially, which, again, my instinct tells me that's because the initial talk was about trying to settle down your own constituency and go, relax, relax, relax. You guys don't have all the information when we get all the information. And people say, well, what about the guys that left? And or if we come together, are they just going to be able to waltz over here again? And it was like, oh, no, they'll pay a price for that, to which I go, why? They've made you better. 
whether you liked or disliked how it happened, if it didn't happen, all of you would not be in the position that you're in right now. So, so from that standpoint, Dom, you, you were asking about contracts. First of all, contracts are, are legal entities. They're contracts. I, I foresee that the people who left, say, the PJ Tour, or the DP World Tour, or what have you, and went to live and were given contracts, and I, we don't know the details of those contracts either. Where It's all speculation, and we, we think we know. We've heard from, like, Brooks Kepka. He said got $130 million, if memory serves me. And, you know, into, into the bank account. We've heard that from a number of different players. Like, oh, no, I got it all. I don't anticipate anything negative as far as that goes. They've, they've got the money. Uh, like, I've, I've said continuously, if you, if you were one of John Rahm's advisors, in all honesty, if you were his advisor, and you looked at it and said, whatever the number is, uh, $100 million, $200 million, $300 million, $500 million, you've got all these different things. And I, and I think that's partly because they're, they're, they're trying to put a value on the intangibles, like, his equity in a, a team, for example. But there was a cash component. We just don't know what it is. So I'll say $200 million. If you were his advisors and his, his advisors say like an agent who's going to get a percentage of that $200 million, so they'll be inclined. But you're looking at it and said, we know that the entities are talking about coming together. We know that these conversations are going on. You're already exempt into the majors going forward. So with or without the world ranking points being resolved, which they should, but they haven't. But with or without that, you know you're going to be in the majors. But we know these conversations are going on. So there is some likelihood, if not probability, that a structure will be revealed whereby the top players in the world that was the speculation, that, as Carney called it. But his feeling is that they're going to have these bigger events, maybe framed on the signature events that currently exist, don't know, where they're going to come together and play together again. And from that standpoint, how do you dig your claws into a player that got paid tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars, and in a relatively short period of time, again, we don't know what it is because it hasn't been revealed, but in a relatively short period of time, they're going to circle back around and be playing against those same people again. Potentially on the exact same tour. From that standpoint, how can you possibly criticize a player for making a decision that is so monumental to go to a league that you yourself are now telling us it's okay, what they're doing is good for the game, we're all trying to be one. So even the people that will, will decry the lack of so-called uh, loyalty, and you look at it and go, well, how is it a lack of loyalty if they're going to be back with them again? That is the intent. That's what they've told us. So it's complicated, and, you know, I suppose you could say, Dom, in any situation there are winners and losers, but I don't see this clear pathway of concern that, as you phrased it, that some constituencies on both sides, players are going to get screwed. I just I don't see that happening. This is a massive, massive sum of money coming into the game. And to those that are, I'm sure, commenting on, the different news items that we're sharing today. I've said from the beginning of this thing 
that you can absolutely hate the source of funds. You have every right to feel that way. My only caution on that is, is if you start to go down the road of putting judgment, moral or otherwise, on source of funds, then you have to be pretty comprehensive. you got to dig deep on every source of funds. You can't just decide, oh, I'm going to hate this one right here because I know where this one, I can see it. Well, what you can't see may lead you down some pathways that would cause you to question too. In fairness, right? That's, that's about the balance. You got something else, Don, before we move on? I just have one simple question, and it's just an opinion, right? But I'm wondering, on the other side of this coin, do you think there's a chance? I realize that you believe, and I think a lot of us probably believe, and the folks at 71% believe that golf will unify. Is there a path? Is there, is there a fork in the road where this doesn't happen? Is that possible where things can remain fractured and everybody's just trying to figure it out? And it never comes together. Is that possible or is that impossible right now? In any negotiation, the, the possibility of the negotiations not coming to fruition is always part of the play. Always possible. And there's a whole variety of different reasons. either side wants that? Uh, I don't think either side wants that, if that's what you just asked me. No. Uh, but but yeah. there's, there's a lot of variables that come into play. Of variables come into play could be personnel. You know, in, in the world of golf right now, we're seeing Martin Slumbers, the head of the RNA, announcing that he's going to step down from his position. We've seen that uh, Keith Pelly, the chief executive of the DP World Tour, is stepping away in a couple of months to take a job back in his native uh, country of Canada uh, under the Maple Leafs organization, which is actually a huge sports conglomerate uh, that he's going to be the president of. So, Two of golf's major so-called governing bodies, or if you want to use the, the phrase that many like, the ecosystem, well, two of them are, are changing positions. So you're going to have two new people that are coming in. I know Guy uh, Kidding is going to be the, the, the head of the, on the European side. I don't know what the, the RNA is going to do. So when you look at it from that perspective, we're only weeks away from the USGA and the RNA announcing the decision that they made that they've decided to roll back the golf ball technology. Um, okay. I've always felt like the, the best players in the world are going to figure that out one way or the other. Don't again, in terms of what we don't know collectively, we don't know how the technology of the golf ball works. We don't know what the data is that we're being told says that amateur golfers are hardly going to be impacted, uh, but the best players in the world are going to see what is, a pretty substantial reduction. Okay, how do you do that with the same ball? I'm still waiting for that science to be revealed. Very curious as as to what that means. Uh, how could that be impacted by a new head of the RNA? Don't know. Keith Pelley has announced that he's going to stay on until what he hopes is going to be the culmination of this effort to bring together the framework agreement into a definitive agreement moving forward. Okay. Well, what happens if through a whole variety of different cycles and circuits and politics and, and circumstance, what happens if the, if the chief people change? Shortly after the framework agreement was announced, Jay Monahan stepped away for extended period of time. 
Keith Pelley is, is leaving the job for a new one. I don't know what Yasser's position is and how, how strong it is. And, and his, who knows? Maybe he loves what he does. Don't know. All I'm saying to you is that in, in the in, in contracts try to make everything permanent as though it's, it's somehow etched in stone. But the reality is, is all of this churns around individuals and human beings. And if their agendas change, if their desires change, if their health changes, if the people that they answer to have changed their minds, there's a whole variety of different things that could dramatically impact the course of events that right now we see as permanent or at least set in a certain direction. All I'm telling you is, is that we, we have glimpses at best as to what we think is happening here. You all done, Dom? No, you just, I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm just listening to you. I mean, I love this show. I, I love our audience. I, I think this is all incredibly fascinating. Something I've said to Matt on and off the air for years, chaos is good for business. I, this is all fascinating, and it's not going to be something that is figured out anytime soon. So there's so much time for more news to come out and so many possibilities to talk about, and I just think it's so interesting. Because I think that we all have an emotional tie to golf, and we want, in the end, we all want what's best for the sport, I think. I hope. And so. Yeah. And I, I mean, my big thing, which everybody's I, I'm sure just, I'll, like, I'll, everyone, ha- everyone kind of has a dog in this race. This is very different definitely. than football or basketball or some of these other sports because everyone watching this, all of us, we're, we're directly tied to golf. A lot of us play golf all the time. And so it, it, it feels, this kind of feels a little bit like it's us. It's not just them or this or that thing over there. We're all in this together. So hopefully we can figure it out. <laughs> well, my, my one concern there, as you know, Dom, I don't know if I'd call it a pet peeve, but it is a concern, is that we constantly hear about terminology used includes golf stakeholders, Golf's ecosystem. I'd love to sit down with someone at some point, have them define for me what that means. I've heard people, and we have press releases that will mention it, talk about the fans, talk about, as they call it, recreational golfers. What's unclear to me is who actually represents the most important constituency of all of these so-called stakeholders and ecosystem members that are constantly referenced. I get that it's the powerful. I get it's those that control the seats of power. I understand that. But just like in any other circumstance, none of it matters If the millions and millions and millions of people, tens of millions around the world that enjoy this game, for whatever reason, decide they're no longer going to participate in philosophy of, following of, participation in, et cetera, et cetera. That's the thing that I wonder about. Who, folks, represents you? The group that pays for it all. 
all of it. Golf has a direct economic impact in the United States alone of $102 billion a year. $102 billion. That's direct. The indirect is more than double that. And indirect, you could make a strong argument, is direct, like buying a house at a, at a, on a golf course. So when we, when we hear all, all these things and, and that these various things happen, I always wonder, who speaks for that stakeholder, which is the biggest stake in the ground of all of them? Who's making sure that your best interests are protected? Right. Uh, This week is the Hilton Grand Vacations Tournament of Champions taking place at Lake Nona in Orlando. Brooke Henderson had a chance to speak prior to it, and she was asked about a number of different things, including the fact that this is also a celebrity and professional golfer event. It's merged into one. Here she is. Uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Almost every year, I get uh, at least you know a hand or at least a couple people that I'm pretty nervous on that first tee. But um, a few years ago, I played with Vince Carter, and I said to myself, I can play in front of Vince Carter. I can play in front of anybody. <laughs> so after that, um, it's been a little bit easier. But you know, there's just so many amazing people, and they're also so talented at what they do. So to come out here and play around a round of golf with them is just a lot of fun and you know learning from them and they ask us questions as well so I feel like it's just a really uh, a great week and I think the fans really enjoy coming out to a golf tournament but also you know seeing these other pros in, in a different element yeah you know this is a, a great way to start out the year it's an amazing atmosphere it's really fun there's concerts three nights of the week um, big parties and it's just a little bit more chill and it's great vibes and it's a great way to kind of start out the year and you know there's only i think 43 lpj tour players uh this year so it's a smaller field and you know if you can get off to a fast start um you can get a high finish uh, yeah, you know, winning this event last year was a huge boost to my confidence, and I've always wanted to win um, at this event. So that that was really big. And then, you know, uh, the rest of the year, I maybe didn't play quite as well as I would have liked. So, you know, coming into 2024, I'm excited to get it started again and, you know, hopefully um, lower my scoring average a little bit, and which will hopefully put me in contention uh, more times throughout the year on the weekend. And that's all you really want is an opportunity to win or an opportunity to be great? Uh, you know, I think perspective is a great thing um, and being able to step back every once in a while and, you know, just um, be grateful for how far my team and I, we've come. Um, and then also, you know, to get back into the moment and see what we can do in the future. Um, but yeah, it's pretty cool. This will, I guess, technically be my 10th season on the tour. Um, so it's gone by really, really fast. And I hope that I have inspired and and motivated the younger generation to, you know, pick up the game of golf or, you know, just chase and pursue pursue, um, whatever is in their hearts and whatever they they dream to go after. So, um, you know, it's been a lot of fun for me and, you know, hopefully the the best is yet to come. I will have the airtimes for you for the, the event here in Orlando, as well as Dubai Desert Classic, where Tommy Fleetwood is speaking to the media. And in this point he was asked you got to be walking on on the clouds coming in here after the win last week yeah last week was great um it's uh it's always nice to um 
I, I think like having good performances to show um, like positive signs of your hard work and give yourself confidence in your game is always a great feeling. Um, and then on top of that, you know, if you get the ultimate and you have a win, um, that feels great. So, uh, you know, looking forward to this week. Feel like um, I sort of took a lot of positives from last week. I looked at things where I felt like I could improve. Um, started practice yesterday, and um, yeah, looking forward to another great week. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, yeah, Dubai is uh, where um, where we live uh, now. Kids in school and everything, so it's obviously got a a really nice homely vibe and, and weeks out here, I, you know, see a lot of faces that I know very well and I see a week in, week out. So that's always nice um, playing in front of those. But I think Dubai in the Middle East um, has such like a strong place in the tour's calendar. And I think, um, you know, I've been on tour for, uh, I don't know, 11 years, 12 years maybe. And I think um, I've played this event every year. And uh, I think everybody just associates the Middle East uh, with, you know, both the start of the year and the end of the year. And I think everybody feels very, very at home here, very comfortable. Um, and, you know, they're always excited about coming back. It's got a lovely feeling to it always. There's a lot, there's a lot of very good players. I think, um, I think in general, if you look at the strength and depth in the world of professional golf um, on, any, on any given tour, um, and then you add in, so every single week, somebody's gonna play very, very well. Uh, probably 20, 30 guys are gonna play very, very well. So you put that on top of how strong the standard is, obviously winning is gonna be very, very difficult. Um, 72 holes is a long time. Um, you know, you tee off, sometimes you tee off at seven o'clock on Thursday morning, the tournament finishes at six o'clock on Sunday night. Everything you do in that period counts. So um, yeah, it's, it's difficult um, and I think you know, even I think the best the best players in the world and the people that win the most, um, and I, you know, Rory very much at the top of that list. If you look at the amount of times he actually just puts himself there, I think that's the number one thing you can do. Keep playing to a high standard, keep practicing to a high standard, put yourself in those positions all the time, and then and then you know you get the chance of winning. It's not going to work out all the time, and winning is very very hard. And there's always players there that are playing great and are going to be hitting great shots, and um, you just have to be there. And then, um, like I said, your times will come. My time doesn't happen, or it hasn't happened nearly as much as I would like, but um, you know, that, we just hope that it comes more often uh, in the future. But I just think you know, winning is very, very hard. And of course, everybody judges you on um, the tournaments you've won. Um, but even last week, you know, I played great golf last week and everybody will say how well I played and it was great to win. You know, the last hole, I made a birdie, Roy made a bogey, so that was one hole out of 72 holes that made the difference in a tournament. And you can look at it very, very differently. So I think, um, you know, the you just have to make sure you're always looking at your performance and how strong that is and just go from there. Well, I, th I, think, I think very, I think it's been a big part of, um, look, I, I grew up uh, dreaming of playing on DP World Tour. That was what, you know, I'm, from England, I grew up playing on this tour and, and a lot of my heroes were on this tour. And I think the Middle East has been a huge part of that now for a long time. Um, living here, um, I obviously get to see a lot and play a role in the development of young golfers out here and how big the game is for, for the nation. And um, yeah, I, th I think it's very important. I think it's held a place in the world of golf for a long time. And I think it will for, a, it should do for a, for a long time in the future and um, 
I think everybody has great things to say about here. I think you have iconic golf courses. People watch tournaments played on these courses year in, year out, the same courses. Um, and I think people are very, very passionate about the game. I think, um, I don't know what the numbers are, but there's definitely a strong ratio for people playing the game and, and there's not that many golf courses, you know, in terms of the actual numbers. And I just think that will continue to grow. I think more golf courses will be built. I think more people will take up the game and I think it'll keep growing here. So it definitely has a strong place in the world of golf. Tommy Fleetwood, who can speak with some authority there from Dubai, where he uh, now has a house. Now, when we talk about the game of golf, oftentimes you'll hear us talk about avenues of access. And what I'm talking about is the top tiers, such as the Swing 5, the Next 10, et cetera, et cetera, just on the PGA Tour. Well, the PGA Tour has a new rookie. He's 34 years old in Tom Whitney. And it's, what's interesting to me about it is people's lives move at different speeds. And sometimes you'll hear these stories about young players, and we love to, to focus on them, who if they finish their college career or if they leave early or if they didn't even go to uh, advanced education, they burst onto the world golf scene and seemingly have so much talent that they succeed early on. Sometimes it takes people more time. Tom Whitney is a 34-year-old rookie, uh, and his story is a very, very interesting one indeed, including his job as a nuclear missile operator. Not kidding. I'll get to that in just a second. But first of all, here's Tom reacting to the fact that at 34 years old, he's seen some of life's currents. How does that compare to maybe, what, a 21-year-old kid bursting on the scene? Probably, probably lagging a little behind in the, in the energy, um, but miles ahead in just the life experiences. And um, there's so many things that you, you can't learn out here without having experienced it. And I mean, I'm, I'm looking back at a lot of pieces of advice I've received from veterans, and they kind of went in one ear and out the other. And you, you don't really internalize those until you live it and uh, experience it yourself. And um, I mean, kudos to the young guys that have already figured it out at this, at this point. But um, yeah, I've learned a lot in my 10 years. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't trade it for getting here any sooner. Uh, I think the timing's perfect. God's got me right where I'm supposed to be. And um, yeah, just looking forward to ending my prime. Yeah, so nuclear missile operator, 24-hour shifts with a group partner, eight times a month. Um, and I think in total spent uh, around 200 shifts underground um, by the time it was all said and done. And yeah, a lo lot of dull moments. Um, it's, not a, it's not a sexy job while you're doing it. Um, and at times it can not even be very enjoyable, but um, I'll tell you, it didn't take very long after I separated and, and left that job and started golf full time to to where I, I missed it. And I completely misgaged what I had. And, you know, you think the grass is literally greener as you're entering the career of golf. And, um, man, I had it easy. People told me where I had to be, when I had to be there, what I had to wear, how long I had to be there for, what I was going to get paid. Um, I pretty much knew what I was going to be fed. Um, I mean, all the all the hard decisions were made for me, and I just kind of had to follow a checklist. Um, now, going from Corn Ferry to here, there are so many unknowns that you just kind of learn along the way. Um, and I mean, this is just a an impressive venue, three courses, um, massive clubhouse, great player amenities. Um, 
massive driving range. I mean, you're just navigating around this whole property, trying to figure out where everything is, uh, where the where the media room is. We we have to get deeper into this from Tom. Working in a missile silo. Let's let's hear more from Tom about exactly what he did. Yeah, so I was a nuclear missile operator. Um, that means me and a crew partner were um, positioned about 100 feet underground in a um, personnel silo, um, directly wired and attached to our nuclear nuclear missiles. So we have three nuclear missile bases in the United States, uh, one in Wyoming, one in Montana, one in North Dakota, and I was stationed at F.E. Warren Air Force Base in Cheyenne, Wyoming. And um, of those 150 missiles, uh, myself and my crew partner would be in primarily in charge of 10 of them. And um, you, would, you would show up to the base, let's say on a Monday, and mission plan for two to three hours. You talk about expected weather, expected maintenance, maintenance that happened over the last 24-hour period, uh, any intelligent, relevant intelligence threats or situations, um, and then just anything else that, that can overall affect your upcoming alert. Then you drive out to the site, which can be anywhere from 45 minutes to two and a half hours from the base. Um, everything's spread out among Wyoming, Colorado, and Nebraska. So it's a, it's a good-sized field, um, or we call it the missile field. Uh, it's about, the entire complex is about the size of Rhode Island. And, um, and if you think about it, there's 150 missiles, 15 personnel sites, and the base, and everything is hardwired underground. So just the engineering and planning that went into it um, to install these these um, pressure-sensitive cables and and um, trenching all that to connect everything. It, it's a really cool weapon system. Uh, so you get out to the site, you go underground, um, and you transfer over with the previous crew, get briefed up on everything that happened. And then once they're gone, you have anywhere from an hour to three hours of uh, just routine checklist items, um, going through all your daily tests, um, inventorying everything. And, and then it's just whatever is scheduled for that uh, specific alert. Sometimes you have maintenance scheduled on one of the missiles. Um, sometimes you have retargeting measures um, that, that all the crews have to send out um, where we change the targets of, of where the missiles are aimed based on current intelligence. Um, sometimes there's just uh, um, communications systems, repairs or maintenance we have to accomplish. Uh, we respond to security situations. And, uh, so, so basically we have like, I don't know, 1,500 pages of technical data. And as missileers, we are trained to know how to prioritize what happens and where to look to follow the checklist. So um, anything that happens to the missile goes through the missile crew, uh, which I was a part of. So uh, if maintenance is happening, if security response is happening, if a test, exercise, fire, um, underground shocks from an earthquake, uh, whatever we have to respond to, basically, we are, we're the go-between. Um, between security, maintenance, um, and uh, everything else. And uh, ultimately, our, our main training 
part of the mission is we are the ones that launch the missile if the president sends the order. And uh, it goes from the president to U.S. STRATCOM, U.S. STRATCOM to us. So there's only one, per, um, one entity in between us and the president um, if, if we are launching a, a nuclear missile. I'm not sure where you even to start with that information that Tom gave because it was it was pretty deep and pretty comprehensive and it and it makes me wonder because I used to say, I, I I would ask this question of particularly veterans who saw action you know I remember a number of times talking to Larry Nelson about it for example who saw heavy action in Vietnam and trying to ascertain if when you hear the sound of a bullet spinning over your head, right, or multiple, and you know what that is, does it make it any easier to sink a five-foot putt that means something? Like for Tom and the experience that he's had, where he talked about, you know, it's not really a glamorous position, meaning that obviously it's, thank goodness, slow. There's not a lot of activity or banter about whether they're going to launch a nuclear missile on a daily basis. But when it matters, it matters a heck of a lot. And being out on tour now as a tour player, I'm really curious. Is there a weight off your shoulders? Do you kind of, do you approach this thing with just like arms extended in gratitude? That instead of, dealing with the potential of, as he said, one entity between them and an order from the president to launch. How does it change your perspective? I think it's absolutely fascinating. Okay, let's give you the perspective on how, when, and where you can get your golf coming up in the days that lie ahead. Tomorrow at 4 p.m. Eastern time, you can catch the action from the American Express and Golf Channel. That'll be Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday all at 4 p.m. Eastern time. PGA Tour Live is available exclusively on ESPN Plus, four different feeds, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. It starts at 11.30 a.m. each day. PGA Tour Radio, as I told you, multiple ways to get it, including uh, if you subscribe to National Satellite Service, Sirius XM, Thursday and Friday from 1 p.m., Saturday and Sunday from 2 p.m. All these times are Eastern, the Hilton Grand Vacations Tournament of Champions. That coverage tomorrow and Friday from 1 p.m. on Golf Channel. It's split on Saturday between Golf Channel at 2 and NBC at 3 p.m. Sunday. It will be on Golf Channel from 1 p.m. Eastern Time. At the DP World Tours Hero Dubai Desert Classic, it all starts for you tonight, 2.30 a.m. from Wednesday into Thursday will be the start time. Same on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, a half hour earlier at 2 p.m. in what is a great field there as well. Thank you so much, folks, for your company today. It is always a pleasure. We look forward to sharing a part of your day again down the road. But until that time, be well. Goodbye for now.